You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. were to destroy and completely wipe out all the people in the land. God wanted the land to be pure. He wanted his nation, Israel, to be pure. He knew that if they did not wipe out completely, that they would start marrying their daughters and their daughters would be given away in marriage. They knew that they would mingle and they knew that the idols would start to come in and they knew that he would have an impure breed, so to speak. The history of Israel, as recorded in the Old Testament, is a powerful example for us as believers regarding sin, idolatry, and compromise. As Pastor Dave will teach you in his message today, many of the disasters that Israel faced were due to their falling away from the Lord. Are there areas in your life that reflect Israel's compromise? Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 21, as he begins his message, The Life of David, Soldier, Singer, Sinner. We're coming to the close of Samuel. We've only got four more chapters to go in the book of 2 Samuel, and there's a lot of things packed in that chapter. So as I said, we come to these last four chapters in the book of 2 Samuel. We get a glimpse of David as the soldier. We get a glimpse of David as the soldier, as he still wants to fight battles for the Lord. And next week, we're going to get a look at David, the songwriter. David, the songwriter, the mighty psalmist that he is, as he writes his song of victory. Next week, we'll look at that in chapter 22 and 23. And sadly, we see David the sinner once again at the end of the book when David concludes this book and concludes his life by sinning against the Lord one more time and having to pay more consequences. So that's how this book plays out. But the writer who wrote 2 Samuel begins the conclusion of all of this by talking about two tragedies that have befall the nation. And both of them are consequences to sin. The one we're going to look at is a consequence for Saul's sin. As I mentioned, the one we'll look at in a couple weeks is a consequence for David's sin. And sandwiched in between those two is that beautiful song of victory that David writes and composed by the Holy Spirit. But we're going to look at this first tragedy, this first national tragedy that was basically a drought. A drought had come to the land of Israel, a drought, no rain, and it hadn't rained for a long time, at least three years, and the nation was in a severe famine. And we're going to find out that this is a result of the sin of King Saul, and David has to remedy that result, and the result is the death of seven of his descendants. So let's look at verse 1 in Samuel 21. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. It's interesting. 
that nowhere in Scripture can we find where Saul tried or even where he accomplished destroying or slaughtering the Gibeonites. And when he did this, he broke a vow that Israel had made to the Gibeonites. Who were the Gibeonites? Anybody remember who the Gibeonites were? The Gibeonites we studied many moons ago when we went through the book of Joshua, particularly in Joshua book 9, in chapter 9 of Joshua. Joshua had begun to conquer the land, and they went and they had this great big victory at Jericho. They had this victory at Ai, but it came out of defeat at first because of the sin of Achan. But they eventually defeated Ai, and they were marching through the land. Well, word about the victory of Jericho and the victory of Ai spread throughout the land. And the Gibeonites, who were kind of in that area, got scared. They were afraid. They thought that they would be next. So what they did was they came up with a plan that they were going to meet Joshua and the nation Israel on the way. Their plan was to make themselves look disheveled, rustled their hair, splashed some dirt on their clothes and splashed some dirt on their faces and kind of ripped up their sandals and made their wineskins torn and, and look like they've been mended. They wanted to appear that they've been traveling a long, long, long way. What they did was they deceived Joshua. Now, the Lord had given specific orders to Joshua. The orders were to destroy and completely wipe out all the people in the land. God wanted the land to be pure. He wanted his nation, Israel, to be pure. He knew that if they did not wipe out completely, that they would start marrying their daughters, and their daughters would be given away in marriage. They knew that they would mingle, and they knew that the idols would start to come in, and they knew that he would have an impure breed, so to speak. God knew this, but Joshua failed to do that. He failed to inquire of the Lord, but he made a treaty with the Gibeonites. And he basically made them slaves to Israel. And the Gibeonites thought, this is great. We'll gladly be your slaves. I mean, they had a choice. Be their slaves or die. You choose. So they became slaves. But the covenant that they made was binding. Because it was binding to God. You make a covenant, it becomes binding to God. And they couldn't do anything about it. It was binding before God and before the nation of Israel, and they had to keep it. It was a covenant between the people of Israel, between the Gibeonites and God. And somewhere along the line, and we're not really sure where, like I said, it's not really found in Scripture, but King Saul ignored the treaty. He ignored the treaty, and he went after the Gibeonites, and it says he slaughtered a bunch of them. We don't know how many. It just says he slaughtered. And he's called, the Lord is calling him bloodthirsty. Look at verse 1. It's because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. Now, I don't know if he wiped them completely out. Obviously not because they're going to be talked to here in a minute by David. So Saul went against this treaty and now it's come up before God. And because of this, a drought and a famine had come into the land of David. And it lasted three years. And we read, David inquired of the Lord regarding the famine. So David is basically, basically following the command of the Lord found in Deuteronomy 28, which basically says, the Lord will send rain to the land if the people would honor and obey him. 
In other words, the Lord nourishing the land, the Lord making the land prosper, would depend upon their honoring and obeying him. And that was, again, what the Lord wanted. We must be ever obedient to God's word. We must be extremely obedient to God's word. In fact, in Luke, in Luke 6.46, Jesus basically says, I'll read it. I found it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? It's extremely important for us to follow God's word. If we call him Lord, if we call him Lord, if you call someone by the title Lord, it means you're their servant. You're their servant exclusively, and you should obey their every command. If we call him Lord, then we need to obey his command, but we don't. I have no rights. I have, if I call him Lord and not obey him, it goes against my master. Remember when Peter was on the house of, of Simon the Tanner, which I saw, by the way. When he was on the house of Simon the Tanner and the sheet came down, the sheet came down with all the animals on it, and, and the Lord said to Simon Peter, kill and eat. What was his response? <laughs> Not so, Lord. Excuse me? Not so, Lord. How many of us, when the Lord has given us command, have said, Not so, Lord. Not so. It's not a very good place to be. Don't call him Lord if you seek to govern your own life. If you seek to be in charge of your own life, don't call him Lord. Do not call him Lord. So David inquires of the Lord. But when did he inquire of the Lord? It's interesting to me that it said there was a famine for three years, and David inquired of the Lord. During the third year, did David say, you know, I guess I should talk to the Lord. It's like we always tease the people on the Titanic. As the Titanic starts to go down, somebody says we should pray, and the other person says, has it come to that? Well, is that what David said? Did, did David say that? After three years, it's been a famine. He said, you know what? Maybe we should inquire to the Lord. How come we're like that? How come we're never prayers first, but always everything else first, and then prayer? Prayer should be our first response. Prayer should be our first response, not an afterthought. However, unfortunately, it seems like it's always our last thought instead of our first response. We know from Scripture that the Lord is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's Scripture. And we quote that Scripture back and forth. But the bottom line is, do we? When do we do it? Do we do it as an afterthought or do, it, do we do it the first thing? First thing. Why do we delay our prayers? Why? So the Lord told David that the drought and the famine was due to King Saul's sin towards the Gibeonites. And David now has to do something about it. Thirty years had passed since King Saul had died. And God waited patiently all that time for, to deal with Saul's sins. What did that tell you? He doesn't forget sin, does he? Except our sin. Scripture says, I will remember their sins no more. On the cross of Jesus Christ, our sins were taken away. Gone completely. Never to return. They're done. And God says, I will remember their sins no more. But God made a promise to the Gibeonites. And a promise is a promise. And how come we expect God 
to keep all his promises for us and we don't keep our promise to him. Saul didn't keep the promise of God to the Gibeonites. Instead, he slaughtered them. David knew that this sin of murder would pollute the nation. He should know all too well what the sin of murder does to a person. He's very familiar with that sin, unfortunately. Let's read 2 and 3. So the king, that's David, called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not the children of Israel, but were the remnant, a remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore, David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? David contacts the Gibeonites and asks what he can do to make atonement for Saul's sin, thus ending the drought. We got to end the drought. I want to make atonement for the sin so that my people, the children of Israel, God's chosen people, will be blessed. We need to get this sin out of the picture. We need to remove it. I want to make atonement. David wanted to end the famine, this drought, and he knew that the solution was asking the Gibeonites what he could do for them. Remember, what's the theme of the Second Samuel? Oh, thank you. Restoration. The theme is restoration. So now God is still restoring. He is still restoring things, things that happened 30 years ago. He's starting to restore. He's starting to bring back. And God is restoring this. David felt that the Gibeonites could bless Israel, and then the reconciliation would be complete, and God's chastening of Israel would end because of Saul's sin. Notice it says that Saul's zeal led to sin. Zeal can be a good thing. Having zeal to the Lord can be a good thing, but then it becomes misguided. Someone who stands in the line at an abortion clinic with a gun and kills someone, a doctor or so, has zeal for the Lord, but it's kind of misguided. But that, that is what I'm talking about. This zeal for the Lord, if it gets misguided, it causes all kinds of problems. We all know that abortion is wrong. We know, all know it's bad, and we all dislike it terribly, and we know it's against God's word. However, the Lord will deal with those who do that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And for us to go against God's word and commit murder because of zeal, there's something wrong with that. Look what David Guzik writes. Quote, this is a good example of how good intentions don't excuse bad actions. We often excuse bad actions in ourselves and in others because we think are good intentions. But God examines both the intentions and our actions, and he examines them where? A heart. It becomes a matter of the heart. What is your heart saying? What is your heart saying? So David says, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Listen to this. In four, let's read 4 through 6. And the Gideonites said to him, we will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, whatever you say, I will do for you. Then they answered the king, as for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in the, any of the territories of Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. Interesting. Very interesting here that David comes to them 
And look what he says here. This is very interesting. He says to them, whatever you say, I will do for you. Why is this strange? Maybe we're not thinking on the same level here. Why do you think this is strange? Why would this be strange for David to say? Should have gone to the Lord first before anything, but he's also the king. <laughs> he's the king. Kings can do whatever they want. King, well, I'm, the king is now coming to them as a servant. The king is coming to the Gibeonites. What do you want me to do? What is it you want me to do? Now, this is all part of God's plan. It looks like it, but he's, he's coming as a servant. Now, what I read here, just a minute here, you know, you know the scriptures yourselves in Matthew 20, in verse 26 in Matthew 20, it says, yet it shall be not so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And in 23.11, Jesus says the same thing once more in 23.11, but he who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. David is acting like a servant here. He's, he's humbly coming to them and saying, what do I do? Normally, people estimate greatness by how many people serve and honor them. The more servants you had, the greater you must be. Jesus reminded his followers that in his kingdom, it's different, and that we should estimate greatness by how we serve and honor others. That's what greatness is measured by in God's kingdom. In God's community, status, money, popularity are never prerequisites for leadership. Humble service is the greatest prerequisite. Our model, our example, is Jesus Christ. So David's coming to them as a servant. He takes a lower seat and asking the Gibeonites, what can we do for you? What can I do for you? They do have a price. They want seven of Saul's relatives given to them so they can hang them. The household of Saul was now being judged for Saul's sin. This shows just how deep sin goes. Sin goes extremely deep. David agrees and immediately wants to make restitution. Now, human sacrifices were against God's word. Human sacrifices were against God's word, and David knew this, but God told David that the drought was because of Saul's sin, and in order to make restitution, David must now follow God and commit to the Gibeonites' request. But we must keep it in context, folks. This is Old Testament, under the law. Under New Testament, we're under grace. And also, under the Old Testament, we're dealing with the nation Israel, not the church. The law of Moses required that an unsolved murder be atoned by the sacrifice in Deuteronomy 21, 1-9. through so David's following that, and he's following the Lord. Look at 7-9. through nine. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aah, whom she bore to Saul, and, to and the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Basrili, and delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on a hill before the Lord. So they fell all seven together and were put to death 
in the days of the harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of the barley harvest. David doesn't commit the crime here, but he has to choose seven men to be put to death. Not a very pleasurable position that David was in, but it was what the Lord required of him. Sometimes the Lord requires us to do hard things. Sometimes the Lord chooses us and asks us to make hard decisions, especially when you're in some sort of leadership. You must make hard decisions. The Lord has a way of running his church and which we all must submit to and sometimes we even must discipline and it's a hard task. It's a very difficult task but it must be done in love. But we must follow the Lord when, we do, when he does that because if done correctly, if discipline is done correctly, it leads to restoration. It leads to restoration to God if it's done correctly. If it's done incorrectly, it leads to division and callousness and poor feelings. I wonder when David was doing this if he had flashbacks to those who died because of his sin. I wonder if he had flashbacks about the new baby that was born to Bathsheba or Uriah, her husband, or how about Ammon, his son, or how about Absalom, his favorite son, or how about Amasa, the general that was killed by Joab. What if David thought about that as he had to choose these men to die? Hard choice. God makes us have hard choices sometimes. God gives us hard choices. It was at the time of the harvest. It was at the time of the harvest, in the first days of the beginning of the harvest, the barley harvest. I didn't study that real hard, but there's probably something there. Probably something there about the barley harvest. Something that means I didn't study it. But he spared Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. Why? Because he made a vow. He made a vow to Jonathan before the Lord. They made a covenant, and he spared Mephibosheth. Instead, he so chose two sons of Saul's concubine, Rispa, and five sons of Saul's daughter. Now here it says Michael, Michelle, Michal. But if you look down at the note, or Merab, M-E-R-A-B, why would it be Merab and not Michal? Why, why would it be, why, why do you think it, down here it would be Merab instead of Michal? Can anybody tell me that? You guys are really disappointing me. We went through this. No, that was a good guess, but no, that's not correct. You're thinking of the waters of Meribah. That, that, that is a very bitter water. That's a good guess, no. Remember when David danced before the ark and Michal, and he came back and said some things to her and put her away and cursed her and she became barren. She was never allowed to have children. Remember that? That's why it has to be Meribah. Meribah. That's why it has to be that. She was barren until their death. You are the book of 2 Samuel is a continuation of David's journey to the throne promised him years before. It follows his life and relationship with God, with his family, and with the people entrusted to his leadership. David has much to teach you, and we encourage you to continue studying this Old Testament book. 
If you missed any part of today's teaching on Assure Hope, or if you'd like to listen to additional teachings from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com today. Maybe today, as you were listening, you found you have some questions about faith and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions and start you on a journey that will change your life for the better. Give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. And while you're on our website, visit the page How to Be Saved to read all about the plan of salvation God set up long ago. We'd love to meet you, too. If you're in the area, join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. You can find directions and more information at assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, too. Just follow the link on our page to follow us. We're coming to an end of our time with you today. We're so glad you took the time to study God's Word today with Pastor Dave, and we hope you'll join us next time as we explore deeper into the book of 2 Samuel, right here on Assure Hope.